Okay, anyone ready for a great message? Should we stand to our feet? Shake your legs off, because I know what happens. You do the worship and you start listening to me talk and everyone just relaxes. This is the time to tune in, people, because this awesome lady's got a word just for you. So I want to invite to the stage Sarah Jane Roberts. Thank you. Have a seat, guys. Fantastic. Been a great morning so far. Come on. So we're in a, a relationships course at the moment. We've had two preaches about relationships. Who's enjoyed them so far? It's been amazing, hasn't it? So we've talked about marriage and we've talked about your relationship with yourself. And today I'm talking about excelling in singleness. And at this moment I said to Dan in my practice, shall I then do all the single ladies? All the nice. He said, no, don't do Beyonce. <laughs> I just, I just had a moment there. I was like, I can't say single without thinking of that song. But excelling singles. And the purpose of this message today is not just for people who are single. Everybody is going to get something out of this message. But it's talking about how, in singleness, you can excel. And God has given me some really cool little things to share with you. So I want to excite you this morning about singleness. And perhaps change the perception that you have about what it means to be single. So I've got two daughters and Dan and I love to read stories to them. We love to watch films with them. And we've gone back to like going back to our childhood when we we're reading some of the stories that our parents used to read to us. And we're watching some of the films that our parents used to show us. And a lot of them are the princess stories, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Rapunzel, you know, all of those, they come back and Disney does an amazing job of reinventing all the films so we all have to go and buy the new ones and watch them all again. <laughs> But in these stories, there's a thread that runs through the majority of these stories. So you've got Cinderella, who lives at home. She is a slave. She is undervalued. She lives with her stepmother and the ugly sisters, as they are called. Panto time. Boo. Yes, yes that's it. You've got it, people. Well done. And she is living this life that is beneath where she wants to live. She is bound. She is tied. And then what happens? The handsome prince comes into her life. She goes to the ball. She sees the handsome prince. Their eyes lock over the dance floor. He finds the slipper. You know the end. They get married and they live happily ever after. And then there's Sleeping Beauty. You see, she was hidden by some aunts in the forest so that Malfacent, the evil queen, didn't kill her. But on her 16th birthday, she fell into the trap of going to the castle and pricking her finger on the spinning wheel. And she went into a coma, into a deep sleep, along with all the castle. This is just in case you have kids and you don't know what to tell them at night time. I'm just telling you the story. So just to give you a heads up here, come to me and Dan for bedtime stories. But she falls into this deep sleep and nothing, her life is completely on hold until love's true kiss comes and awakens her from her sleep. And then they live happily ever after. But the truth is, Disney is telling us a lie. Because the truth is, your life does not start when you're in a relationship or when you get married and then you live happily ever after. If you are single today, and if you're single, that means you're not married. So if you're engaged or you're going out with someone, you are still single until you are married. But if you are single today, you are alive before you get married. That is the truth. And then back in the 90s, there was a film called Jerry Maguire, which had Tom Cruise in it and Rennie Zellweger. Exactly. Kenny knows it. He's that old to remember the 90s. Just back in Pete Brandy's up there. He's not really 72. So in this film, there was a moment where Tom looks across a dinner table at Rene 
And he says these words and it's like everybody's legs went to jelly in the cinema. Everyone had it on pause and play at home on their DVD player or VHS back then. And it was when Tom looked at Rene and he said, you complete me. Oh, there's a nation of people like, you complete me. But the truth is, no one can complete you except God. You are already complete. So if you're single today, you are complete already. You are the craftsmanship of God. He redeemed you at a price and a cost. You were made in the image of God. There's nothing wrong with you. If you're single today, there is nothing wrong with you. You are complete. You are the full package. You are a single Pringle ready to mingle. You know, come on, people. Oh, I so want to do the Beyonce moves, but I won't. You are God's masterpiece. You are complete. You do not need any man or any woman to complete you. You are complete. And in fact, your prince has already come for you and his name is the Prince of Peace. He is your king. You need to find yourself completed in him. So to back this up, Colossians 2 verses 6 to 10. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You are already complete. You know, it says there, beware to be cheated by the world's philosophy. Because, you know, the world has a plan that you should be married by a certain age. You should have your baby by a certain age. You should own your home at this age. You need to drive this car. You need to look like this. You need to do that. But we don't line up with what the world says. We line up with what God says. And we are individual people, individual masterpieces that God has got a purpose and a call on your life before you're in a relationship. As you are, there are no mistakes here. I want you to know that. The trouble is we live in a culture and even in the church has been guilty of this. We always want to say to people, are you married yet? When are you getting married? You know, I had a friend who got divorced some years back and within one week of that divorce, she had so many texts and phone calls and conversations that said, you're out on the market again? You looking for someone? You ready to be in a relationship? She was like, no, I've just gone through a divorce. I'm using this time to be built up again. I don't want to just fall at the next feet of Mr. Prince who comes along. No, I'm not in that position. But we do that all the time. Are you married yet? But I want to say single is amazing. There's some people that will be single for a short period of time. Some people for many years. And some people for the whole of their life, this side of eternity. And that's amazing. I've got so many friends that are single. And do you know what? They haven't got that desire to be married. And they're complete, whole people who go out and do amazing things, who challenge themselves, who are not boring sitting at home. One day my prince will come. They don't need that because they know who they are. They've got their identity through what Jesus has said that they are. And that they're his. And they go out and they live life to the full. And for some people, there's not a desire to get married or to have children. And that's perfectly fine and amazing so we do not compare oh married unmarried it's different no all amazing complete people full of purpose for God 
And Paul in the Bible was never married. Jesus was never married. They're good examples of this. But Paul also tells us, and I love the way the message version shows this to us. He tells us about marriage, that we shouldn't go into it lightly. We've got to really think about marriage, whether what's our purpose for being married? Why do we want to be married? Why do we think one day I need to be married? All my friends have got married. Why do we feel that need to be married? Because there's like a warning in, in the message version, but also I'll read it to you because I love the way he states this. So Paul's telling us, I want you to live as free of complications as possible. When you're unmarried, you're free to concentrate on simply pleasing the master. Marriage involves you in all the nuts and bolts of domestic life and in wanting to please your spouse, leading to so many more demands on your attention. The time and energy that married people spend on caring for and nurturing each other, the unmarried can spend in becoming whole and holy instruments of God. I'm trying to be helpful here and make it as easy as possible for you, not to make things harder. All I want is for you to be able to develop a way of life in which you can spend plenty of time together with the master without a lot of distractions. That's a brilliant, I just love the way he unpacks that. Because he's saying, you know, you've got to be ready to be married. I read once years ago that marriage is two deaths, one resurrection. Are you ready to die for someone else? Are you ready to lay down all the things perhaps that you like to do and your preference? Are you ready to lay down your selfishness? Because you have to do that in order to be ready to be married. But he's also saying here that there's distractions. That when you're married, you have to think about your husband. You know, I can't just leave church today and think, what do I want to eat for dinner? I've got to think, what will Dan want? What will my children want? What's going to be best for us as a family? He might want Indian, I might want Chinese, they might want McDonald's. You know, there's all these choices, but you have to make a sacrifice. And that's a simple example. But you cannot go into marriage as a single person with all your stuff to another single person with all their stuff and think it's just going to happen. We had that on the marriage talk the other week. But you need to be strong and secure in who you are in your singleness. You need to know that God has called you as that person. And I have this lovely picture of two single people that on their journey of singleness and whatever that looks like, in their devotion to God that Paul tells us about, you get devoted to God. You get in those moments of prayer, of intimacy with God. You have those mirror moments where he shows you who you really are. You have those times when he is building you up as a person, showing your purpose and the things he's called you to. And then you get together with another single person that has done that. That's going to be an amazing marriage. Because you've been devoted to God. But he's saying here that actually when you've got a wife or a husband and you've got a family, you know, sometimes your devotion cannot be on God because you've got to care for their needs. We had the picture of the husband with the umbrella as the head of the house over the wife and the children. You know, men, he's talking to you here. There's responsibility. There's stuff you need to do as a husband and as a priest in your house. And actually... That can be distracting because you want to make sure your wife's happy and your kids are happy. You've got food on the table. You've got money in the back. You do all this stuff. But actually saying that takes away from devotion to God. So I want to say for single people, get with God. Get him to define who you are. The world wants to tell you who you are and what you should be. But God will tell you who you are and whose you are. And he will get you in that place. So get in that place of devotion with God. Spend that time with him. Have those mirror moments. It was so good last week. You need to have those moments for you to stand in that mirror and say, God, who have you called me to be? Not them. What does my journey look like? And if there's that desire in your heart to say, yeah, I do feel I want to be married one day. That's great. But chase after that with God at the center. Let him show you what a good marriage 
will look like. Allow him to strengthen you, to mould you, to shape you, to show you the way forward. So when you're single, there's going to be opportunities. If you're looking for a partner and you want to be married and that's your desire, there's going to be opportunities to date people. There's going to be opportunities to look for something in a person. So my first question would be, why do you want to be married? Why do you want to go on a date with someone? Why do you want to have that giving up your singleness, to be prepared to go together and lead life together? What are you looking for? So there's many different aspects that people will look for. There has to be that initial, there's that chemistry, you like the look of someone. But I have never heard any of my friends or anyone in this church ever say, do you know, I'm looking for someone who's really angry. Someone who's just, who's so fiery and so angry. That's, that's just where I'm at, you know. And, and someone who's really unfaithful. Oh, I'm looking for the most unfaithful person ever because that's just so good. And someone who's so selfish. I mean, that's where it's at. I'm really looking for that. It's so good. You know, we don't see that, do we? We, we have maybe have a list of attributes that we look for. I remember Dan and I were really blessed to meet each other when we were 14 years old wow. in church. Wow. In the old Odeon Cinema was the first time I clapped eyes on him. <laughs> and it was amazing. And as I got to know him and different things like that, yes, is that initial yes, hello, jelly legs, all of that. But there's got to be more than that. But I tell you, the one thing, well, not the one thing, there's loads of things that attracted me to Dan, but one of the things that stood out was the joy that was in this man's life. There was this like abundance of joy that you'd get in the room with him and he'd make everyone laugh. You'd get in that place and, and whatever's going on, even if things had, had a disaster, he would bring out the best in every situation. There's positivity. There was fun. There was that feeling of actually anything's possible here. You know, we can do anything. Okay. You know, we broke down once in the car on a really busy roundabout and we sat there and everyone else would be stressed. Mr. Angry would be pulling his hair out like, ah. He just started absolutely cracking up laughing. <laughs> It's just hilarious. We've got the whole of Colchester backed up, you know, just like a regular day in Colchester with all the traffic. But, but it was just funny, you know, and there was so much of that. But also the thing was that I looked for in my future husband, didn't even know that God had planned that at the time, was bended knees and worshipping his God. That's attractive. And I say to you single people, that is attractive when you see his heart after God. And like I say, not everybody meets each other that way. But that our faith is anchored on the same principles. So when life comes and things happen, we know we've got the same God that we serve. And that was so attractive to me. But I want to look at that because sometimes we can look at the resume of someone and think, oh, this is it, all singing, all dancing. This is the one I'm going to date and the one I'm going to go out, for, out with. And sometimes it doesn't line up to what they've put. And I've got a brilliant story of what happened to one of my friends a few years back. So she'd gone on a dating website. And she was looking for Mr. Right, as she said. She wanted her prince to turn up on his horse. And so she looked through this resume and she looked at this man. Initially, like the photo, you just hope that that's what they look like because usually they turn up and they don't look anything like the photo. Oh, that was 25 years ago. <laughs> looked different. But she liked the look of Steve. His name was Steve. She liked the look of Steve. And she decided to look at his profile. So he'd written, these were his words, I have a passion for life and a zeal for life. So she thought, that's good, isn't it? That's passion and zeal is a good thing. He listed some of his hobbies. She thought, we can work with that. So she went out on a date with Steve. They met in um, an Essex restaurant. That's why I'm doing it in my Essex accent today. Anyone, anyone get that, you see? Haven't got to do one, just keep the old Essex. Oh, I'm going more London. But there we go. So 
They met in the restaurant, and it's that first date nerves, isn't it? Going to meet Steve. I've seen his profile. Make sure I get the right one. Be embarrassing to sit at the wrong table with the wrong person. So she saw him come in, and they sat down, and then the menus come out. So she decided what to order for food. So first date scenario, white top, don't go with the spaghetti bolognese. Ah, it's going to just end up everywhere, isn't it? It's going to end up all down your face, all down your chin. So she thought, I wouldn't go with that. She looked through the menu. You're trying to impress that person. What shall I choose? Cod and chips and mushy peas. And it's very important you know what she chose for her, her main dinner. Cod and chips and mushy peas. It was all going well. He was polite. They engaged in conversation. They were happy. He was interesting. And then her dinner came up. Cod, chips, mushy peas. Sat down. And then the passion and zeal that that man had came out when her dinner arrived. Because Steve was passionate about the depletion of cod supplies in the Atlantic Ocean. (laughs) And for two hours, this is the absolute truth, he talked about how we shouldn't be farming cod in the way that we do in this country. And how we too readily use cod and everybody orders it at dinner and we shouldn't have cod. He went on and on and she said every mouthful tasted like eating something disgusting because she'd be putting her fish in. As he's talking about cod, he had such a passion for cod. And at the end of it, he said, my friends don't actually call me Steve. I'm known as the cod father. He actually told her this. I think if he'd been a Christian, he would have had a cod on his car, wouldn't he? One of them fish at the back. But he, he was so passionate. Needless to say, she never met up with him again. Because his passion and zeal wasn't quite what he'd done. But I want to say today to single people and to married people, how fruity are you today? I'm going to ask that in church because I want to know whether you line up to the resume of a Christian person and what fruit you've got in your life because God shows us in his words some fruit that we need to have, the attributes we need to have. You list these on your dating website, you are guaranteed to get a date. If we could have Galatians 5 verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And I want to say single people, if you're looking for someone, if someone is full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, they are good attributes to have. And they are good attributes for us to have as Christians in our marriage. In your marriage, do a resume of your marriage today. Do you operate in kindness? in faithfulness, in self-control, in love. These are the fruits that we should have. Now, there's nothing worse than a bowl of gone-off fruit. You pick up that mouldy orange and it's not very nice. It's not pleasant. You don't want to eat that. But I want to say, let's get pleasant in our lives. Let our resume line up with the date we will be or that we already are in marriage. Let us have that fruit. So how fruity are you? And I say that to you in church. Because when you're operating out of that fruit... There's different things that happen in relationships when you're operating with self-control. You're not going to allow yourself to cross those boundaries and those lines. When you're operating in faithfulness, you are going to be faithful to that person and to your God. So I want to encourage you to get fruity today in your lives. Let God help you develop fruit and prepare well now for marriage, if that's what you want when you're single. Happiness isn't finding the right person, but it's being the right person. You know, and you know what? There's, a, there's something that goes on that you attract what you are because there's some joy in Dan and that was attractive and that brought out the joy in me. 
And then that's attractive to the people around us. And there's some love and there's some peace and there's some patience in our relationship. And that's attractive to the people around us. But we choose to operate in that. We choose to have two deaths and one resurrection in our marriage. To be that beautiful picture as Christ is with the church of lifting one another up. And if you go into, those, into dating with that, with that attitude of actually, I'm going to bring out the best in you. It's not all about what can I get out of this, but it's what can I give to this. And you're operating in the fruits of the spirit. That is going to be an amazing relationship that could lead to an amazing marriage. So I encourage you in that today. But what about unexpected singleness? You see, it's easy to talk about singleness and maybe people are here in their 20s, 30s, 40s and thinking, yeah, actually, I'm on this journey. I've not dated before. I've not got married before. I'm not in that place. But what about when you find yourself in a place of unexpected singleness? What about that relationship? You've been in all those years and it was just heading for marriage and yet it didn't happen. Or you were married for a long time and when you stood on your wedding day and you looked over at that future spouse, you thought that was forever. And yet the relationship broke up. Separation came. Divorce has come. Or what about the one who's widowed? All those years you'd planned all that stuff and suddenly you're left alone. Stuff happens in relationships. Hurt comes. Things go wrong. Things are not what we set out to be. I don't think anybody would stand on their wedding day thinking, oh, I'll just get married and see how long it lasts. They want that to last. They give themselves to that person. So what about when it goes wrong? What about when you find yourself unexpectedly single? And, you know, I want to tell you today that if you found yourself in that place, maybe you've gone through separation or divorce or you've been widowed or something has happened and you've been hurt by that relationship, I want to tell you that your God can redeem all things. He is a redeeming God. And I want to show you that with a beautiful story today about how God will redeem the unexpected singleness. Or maybe you've been single for so long and so long and so long and you're desperate to get married and the years are going on and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And you're thinking, is this going to happen? You serve a redeeming God. I want to encourage you today with that. But I had a picture, and it's interesting because Linda last week had the picture of the mirror. And as I prepared this, God showed me a different mirror. And he said, there are people who have been in relationships and have been really badly hurt. And they've been so hurt and they've tried to move on. But what they're doing, it's like they're sitting in the car and they're trying to drive their car looking in the rearview mirror. And you can't. Because if you're going to look in that, you're looking at what's behind you and you can't move forward. And they're trying to drive their car, but they're in the rearview mirror and they can't go forward. And every time they go forward, you see they stall the car because they're looking back or they crash into something. But I felt God said, today is a day, church, that no longer look in the rearview mirror, but look forward in the wide open space. God can get you through these things. Maybe you're in a marriage right now and it is going wrong and you are thinking, God, where are you in this? God can redeem all things. Give it to him. Trust him. But you have to make a decision to stop looking back. Stop looking in the rearview mirror and look forward at the wide open spaces and make a choice. And this happened with someone in the Bible. I want to open up a story to you about a lady called Ruth in the Bible. You see, Ruth was married. She had a sister-in-law who was married. They married brothers, a bit like Sarah and I. We married brothers. And she lived in Moab. She had a mother and father-in-law. Life was great for her. She was living out this wonderful life. And then things took an unexpected turn. You see, her father-in-law died suddenly. But her mother-in-law was there with her two sons. And there was Ruth and Orpah, who I always want to call Oprah. But it's Orpah. And they were there. Life was going on. And then Ruth's husband and Orpah's husband 
both die. Three women left widowed. That back then, that was a completely different scenario to if people were widowed here today. We have life insurance, we have help, we have means, we have social care, we have housing. But back then, no men meant no means. They were destitute. They had absolutely nothing to their name. And it was a horrible situation. There was a famine as well over the land at the time. There was no food. What would they do for shelter? Where would they go? What would happen? It was an unexpected turn in Ruth's life. Probably a young woman widowed. It's not what she set out for. Maybe she dreamed of children. Maybe she'd planned a future. Maybe she'd looked beyond. And then suddenly that was all taken away from her. And she's left widowed with two other women. So Naomi was originally from a town called Judah in Bethlehem. And I want to tell you what the names of these places mean because I think it's significant. God always shows us names of people and places in the Bible because there's a meaning behind the name. Check out Shane Willard. He's brilliant at that. So they are living at the moment in a place called Moab. And Moab means the place that doesn't want to change. It stays the same. But originally, Naomi is from a place called Judah in Bethlehem, which means place of bread and praise. And Naomi gets word that in Judah in Bethlehem, God has provided for the people that there is food, there's resource there. So she decides to leave Moab, the place that doesn't change, to go back home to Bethlehem, the place of bread and praise. And, and she says, I'm going to do this. So she gathers her daughter-in-laws and she says, look, I'm an old woman. I'm not going to have any more sons. You are now free of me. You're free of this family tie. You go and live your own lives. You go and do what you want because you need to sort yourselves out. Go back to your family. Go back to your mother and father. But I'm going back to Bethlehem. So Orpah, whose name means stiff-necked, she said, okay, I'm going to do just that. I've got no allegiance to you, no ties. Yes, you are my mother-in-law, but goodbye. See you later. She's not the ideal daughter-in-law. Just add that one in there. But she goes off. But Ruth has a different perspective on it because Ruth means friend and a vision of beauty. So Ruth means beautiful friend. Aren't you grateful for beautiful friends? We're going to unpack that a bit more as we go on. But she says, no, I'm not going to do that because you are my mother-in-law. Yes, you've lost your husband. I've lost my husband, but I love you. I'm going to take care of you. We're going to walk this out together. And this is what she says in Ruth 1 verses 16 to 17. But Ruth replied to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. In her own pain, in her situation of destitution, of nothing, no man, no means, widowed. She doesn't go off and look after herself in her singleness. She decides to stick by this woman, her mother-in-law, who she loves. And she says, where you go, I'll go. She didn't know the God of Naomi, but she said, your God will be my God. I'm going to trust in your God. He's providing over in Bethlehem in Judah. And I'm going to Trust your God. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you in this. I'm going to stand with you side by side in your singleness and your widowness. And in my singleness and my widowness, we're going to do this together. There's power in the doing it together. What a vision of friendship and beauty Ruth displayed to her mother-in-law. 
And they were having an opportunity to change, to leave Moab, the place that doesn't change. They could have sat there in their singleness, in their situation, in what's happened and wait to literally die. But they decided to move forward. That's a word for someone today. But the word for someone today as well is that singleness is not loneliness. That is a misconnection. Here I am, single and lonely. Loneliness means nobody else present. I want you to look around today. Look at this church. Are there other people present here? This is your church family. These are the people that are going to encourage you in your life to keep going. These are the people that are going to say, get out of Moab. Get out of the place that doesn't change. These are the people that are connected to the same God, anchored in the same faith, that are going to say to you, move forward. Maybe your single journey so far has been horrible. Maybe the divorce left you in the most horrible situation and that separation has messed you up. But where you go, I'll go. What you go through, I will go through with you. Where you go, I will be with you. We need people in our lives, church, that are going to say, I'm with you in this. I will help you in this. You are not alone. Singleness is being actually a whole person, amazing person. You are not lonely. You are connected to something bigger than yourself. And that's why in church we promote things such as connect groups and prayer meetings and gatherings together. Because we know it's so easy to be pushed off the side. The enemy wants you to be separate. The enemy wants you to be on the, on the edge. The enemy wants you to be lonely. The enemy wants to push you out to be on the outskirts of church. No accountability. But I want to tell you, you need to be in here so people can help you get out of Moab. Moab, to not be stiff-necked like Orpah. But to get out. And I had this um, some years back now with a friend. And I had to be that friend that came alongside someone who was going through a singleness journey. This person was desperate to be married. This person hated being single. They'd isolated themselves. They'd made themselves be lonely. And they'd got into a place of feeling quite bitter with life. And I had to spend a lot of time with this person. And yes, I was there as a comfort. I was, yes, there I understand. But then I had to be there to be the harsh person. Because you have to say it harsh sometimes. Because actually, that's what we need to hear. Because it's actually helping us to move out of a place that doesn't change. And this person I would go and see, and they would say, oh, it's all right for you, married. Here I am. No one's coming for me. They'd sit in their house and isolate themselves and be lonely. And literally, it was sad to watch this friend sit almost by the fireplace, waiting one day my prince will come. But they won't do anything about it. And I had to go in there, and I had to shout, get out of Moab. Get out of the place that doesn't want to change. And it was very difficult because they didn't want to hear it. And all they said, it's all right for you, married. You can go out for dinner. You can do this. So I said to this person, can you invite me and my husband around for dinner then? Because you've not done that. Well, I can't cook. But you want to be married. Do you think that would be helpful to learn how to cook? Well, yeah. Why don't you learn how to cook? Why don't you go outside of these four walls? Why don't you go and get a hobby? Why don't you go and do something radical? Why don't you get yourself out there? Why don't you go serve in church on a team that you think you could never serve on? I had to challenge this person and they didn't like it. But in the end, they liked it on their wedding day. <laughs> 
because I saw that person go from someone who wouldn't do anything to someone who went out and did some radical stuff. I saw that person actively do something. And you know, as we step out and we do something and we say, okay, I'm going to do that dating agency. I'm going to join that thing in church. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to look for something different. God meets you where you're at because he does what you cannot do for yourself. But you have to step out. And there's a word for someone today. Get out of Moab. Get out of the place that doesn't change and allow God to change something. But be proactive. Do not wait. Sleeping Beauty was asleep for 100 years. Do not wait that long. Step out. (laughs) So Naomi and Ruth, they went to Bethlehem. They went to the place of house of bread and prayer. But when they got there, you see Naomi's old friends and her family came running over to her like, oh, Naomi, you're back. You've been in Moab. You're back in Bethlehem. It's so lovely to see you. And she said, oh, life's been terrible to me. I've been widowed. I've lost both my sons. God hasn't been good to me. It's awful. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She's got in a place of bitterness. I don't want to be called Naomi. Look what's happened to me. She wanted to be called Mara. She wanted to be bitter in what had happened. Don't be bitter. God will change your bitterness, but give it to him. Stop looking in the mirror. Rear view mirror. This has happened. You don't know what my life's been like. It's been so hard. You don't know what I've gone through. Stop looking and look forward. Let the bitterness go so that God can redeem what has been lost. And so when they got there, Ruth, the beautiful friend, came alongside and said, Naomi, you stay here. They stayed in the place. She said, I will go out to the fields and I will start to get food for us. So her plan was to go and they were take, getting the harvest in at that time. And she said, you go behind the people who were collecting all the harvest and she would pick up the leftovers, any bits of corn that were dropped, she would pick up this food to bring home to Naomi. She decided that in her own journey of singleness, destitution, disappointment in her, she was looking out for someone else. That's what we need to do. You know, when we get busy with somebody else's life and stepping in, God gets busy with our life. We need to do that. We need to look out for the other people in our lives, in this church, in our families, in our workplaces. And when she got busy about providing for someone else, God was able to step in. We've got to give him something to work with, church. I want to be married. I don't want to be on my own. I I want to get out there. Well, what are you doing about it? Are you going to work the field? Are you going to get busy about his business so he steps in with that woman or man at the right time? Are you going to get so lost in serving that actually you turn around and you realise, oh, this man or this woman, that's what I've been looking for when you've got lost about his business. So Ruth went out to the fields and she started to glean. We had that in the prayer meeting this morning, glean. And God's going to give you something to glean today, church. Started to glean what was left over. And she brought it back home. And while she was gleaning in the field, she had an encounter with a man called Boaz. Many of us will know this story. But Boaz comes along. And what I love about this, you know when you read the word of God, that every time you can read the same verse umpteen times. But God gives you something new out of the same verse. And I read this verse, and I've read it so many times. But this is what it says in Ruth 2, verses 11 and 12. So she's in the field, she's gleaning, and Boaz is talking to her. She doesn't realise who it is at the time. Boaz replied, I've been told all about you and what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. So he wasn't in the field and he walked over and went, cool, flipping it, she looks nice. No, he wasn't looking at what he saw, but he went to her and said, I've heard about you. I've seen how you've served someone else. 
I've known what you've gone through. I know about the death of your husband, how you've been destitute. And I know the awful situation you've been in. But I've heard what you've done for someone else. That carried weight with that man. Because she'd sacrificed. She'd actually done something on behalf of someone else. It wasn't all about me, myself and I and what I can get out of life and what I can be. But it's about what can I do for you. And that was attractive. He said, yeah, I've seen what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland. And you came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Under whose wings. You know, whatever life looks like for you now. The disappointment, the happiness, the good stuff you're going through. You're under the wings of the Almighty. What a, there's no safer place to be, church. Do you trust him with your life? Do you trust him with your future? We are under that wing. And what I love is that Boaz then did something on purpose. He said to his men and women in the field who were bringing in the harvest, I want you to drop handfuls on purpose. Pick up a little bit, but drop loads. So Ruth is out in the field, and it's like when you go strawberry picking. She was like, this is amazing, getting all this stuff. You know, you come home with so much strawberries. Do you want to see any more strawberries? But she had so much to go back home to Naomi with. Look what has happened. But more than that, something amazing happened. Because God, as he always does, he orchestrates everything, doesn't he? If we're just obedient and if we just step out and do what we're called to do, he will do the rest. He will do what you cannot do, but you need to do something. And so God had planned this, but something happened in the heart of Boaz. Something happened in the family connection that was just incredible. You see, if you remember, Orpah left Naomi, ties severed. Maybe she never saw her again. We never hear whatever happened to Orpah. There's no story, there's no book of Orpah, there's nothing about her. But there is about Ruth. But it turned out that there was a family connection on Naomi's side of the family. And it meant that a rel- if there was a relative in trouble, if they were destitute or a property, if there was some situation going on in the family, one of the male relatives could come alongside and they could buy back the property or help that person. And the name is a kinsman redeemer. And Boaz, because of his ties with Naomi on that side of the family, I think it might have even been her husband's side of the family, he was in that position to buy back what had been lost, to redeem what had been lost. Um, Jermaine, if you could come and play for me, that'd be great. He had an opportunity to buy back. And do you know what he did? The owner of the field, the one who owned the land, he came down into the mud of where that young woman was picking up the handfuls on purpose. And he came down and he rescued her from her situation. He loved Ruth. He put a ring on her finger and he made her his wife. He took her out of a place of destitution and into a place of ownership. He called her his own. He said, come here, I will redeem what has been lost. And you see, there is one that has done that for each and every one of us. You see, Jesus is the one true Kingsman Redeemer. Because he stepped down into the dirt of my life and of your life. And he bought us back at a price. He put a ring on our finger and he calls us sons and daughters of the Most High God. He bought us. His blood was shed in a horrific death on the cross so that you and I might step into the most amazing life of abundance. And not only that, do you know what he calls us? His bride. We are the bride of Christ. And you know, whether we remain single for this whole lifetime, this side of eternity or not, we are the bride of Christ. We are his. He calls us his own. 
his treasured bride, his beautiful bride. He's displaying his beauty to the world through us, his church, to be his hand and feet. And he calls us to be the church that will go into the world and get down in the mud with the people who are going through the stuff to say, this is how I can pull you out. That we can be those kingsmen redeemers on behalf of our kingsman redeemer. He is the one who's given it all for us. We are his beautiful bride. You know, God redeemed Ruth's singleness. She'd gone through that awful experience and her mother-in-law had. But he not only did that for her, but even, if we, even what Barry shared this morning, that we, we've, we've done that for all of us, so that the glory, the miracles, the stuff that happens in our life affects somebody else's life. And you see, what happened to Naomi, who had called herself Mara, who was bitter? Ruth gave birth to a son called Obed. And it means worshipping servant. And that when Naomi held her grandson, there was that beam, grandparents, you know that moment you hold your grandchild, there's something special there. And he, she beamed at that child. And all the people who knew her from before said, she's now Naomi again. The bitterness has gone. And she held Obed, the worshipping servant, in her hands. You see, God used Ruth to take Naomi out of a place that would not change. Into a place of, of bread and of praise so that there would be a worshipping servant would be born. And I want to put that on the screen for you now. This is how it reads when you look at the names. A beautiful friend took bitterness out of a place that doesn't require change to a house of bread and praise which birthed a worshipping servant. It's just so amazing what God does. And you know, at your lowest point, at the stuff in relationships, you've been hurt, you've gone through it, it hasn't worked out. God can redeem it come to tell you that today God can redeem it and he can make a beautiful story like he did for Ruth and Boaz he can change it around that you are his beloved and he is yours you are the bride of Christ and I want to encourage you in that this morning so let him do for you what you can't do for yourself but give him something to work with and maybe for many of us we need to stop looking in that mirror in the rear view mirror and we need to look forward and say okay God this is what's happened I'm drawing a line. I'm leaving that behind. I'm stepping into something new because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That I am your beloved. That I am your bride. I am your church. I'm your one. And I'm going to go out there and make a difference in this town and in families I've been placed in. So they know that there's a Kingsman Redeemer. If I could ask you to stand, I'd love to pray for you this morning. Maybe with every eye shut. Lord God, I want to thank you for every amazing person in this church, Father. I want to thank you for the uniqueness, the amazing masterpiece you've made in each one here. And Father, I want to pray through this message that the words I've spoken, that they would hear your voice through this message today, to know that you have called each one to purpose. Father, that you have a plan for everyone's life, Lord God. I want to pray, Father, for people who are on that journey in singleness at the moment, that you'd give them that strength, that wisdom, that opportunity to be all you've called them to be, Father. That they would operate in those amazing gifts, Lord God, of patience and kindness and love and goodness and faithfulness. And Father, that you would just call each and every one right now to know, Lord God, that they are enough, Father. 
that they are enough, Lord God. That you've called them by name. You call them beautiful. You call them sons and daughters. And they would have that moment of knowing who they are in you, Father. That they would move on from what's happened before and how they were hurt and how it didn't work out and step into the newness today, Father. I want to pray that there be a getting out of Moab today, of the place that doesn't change and hearts will be changed and minds to move forward into what you've called them to, Father. So Jesus, I pray from today there will be a, a determination, there'll be a stepping out, there'll be a moving into that new place, Lord God, that you are our redeemer, that you would redeem what has been lost, Father, that you would give hope and faith and promise again to go again, Lord God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I always want to give opportunity, especially after an amazing message like that. I wonder if there's anyone here today who needs to encounter the kinsman redeemer, who's Jesus. Our lives are going in one direction and suddenly think, wow. And Jesus all along was saying, come to me. Come to me. I've got a great plan for your life. Come to me. I know what you've been through, but come to me. So I just want to invite you just to close your eyes just for a moment. To give everyone else a bit of privacy and to have your moment with the King of Kings. Wherever you're at in life, you're special to the King. So I wonder if there's anyone today who says, yes, Pastor Barry, today's the day I want to make sure I'm right with Jesus. I want to come into relationship with Him. I want to leave all that's gone before behind me and step into the wide open spaces of His grace to take this life by the scruff of the neck and enjoy it. So with every eye closed, if that's you today, says, yeah, I want to be right with Jesus. Give me a wave because I'm going to pray for you. God bless you over there. God bless you over here. Is there anyone else? I can see a couple of people responding. Another one near the back there. There's three people, four people. Another awesome young lady over here in the middle. Come on, today's the day to be right with Jesus. Changes everything. You go from bitterness into laughter. You go from disgrace into the, being the pride of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to pray a line, and I'm going to invite you all to join in and pray. There are four people today who are saying, I want to be right with Jesus. Let's celebrate with them. Are we ready to pray? It's going to go like this. Father God, thank you that you love me. Today, I choose to invite you, Jesus, into my heart to be my Lord my saviour and my friend. I give my life to you and thank you that you're